Now, I've invited my friend Chad to stay up here with me. Some of you have known Chad for a long time. Some of you have not gotten to meet Chad yet. I, um, I first met Chad about 30 years ago. Um, we were both teenagers, and Chad and I knew some of the same people, and we would run into each other just from time to time. And, and uh, Chad went to Octorera, I went to Solanco, so of course our, our, our paths never crossed. But, um, but we, uh, we did have one or two common friends, and, and one of the first times that I was introduced to Chad, I was not introduced to him as Chad, I was told that his name was Stumpy. Now, why, do, why did that common friend of ours tell me that your name was Stumpy, Chad? What, I, was kinda, I, I didn't tell Chad before this morning that I was going to ask him these questions. So just... just why did our friend tell me that your name should be Stumpy? Well, there's a bit of a story behind there's that. There's a bit of a story. What's there, the short is, story? <clears throat> so there was a, a youth group outing that we were on. And, uh, you know, it's getting time to go to bed at night. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, of course, the lights go out, so you got the girls over here in that room, and the guys are over here in this room. And Youth we're group the, outing, and yep, it's, yep. you know, it's the cabin in the mountains, and, and we're having a good time. And, and, uh, and there's a certain person that was along, that he had been, you know, been coming to kind of the youth group outings there for a while. He was new in the community. His name's Buzz Tyson, uh-huh. if you might know of, if you might know of him. Right, And right. he was along, and he had no idea that I had a prosthetic leg. You have a prosthetic leg, yes. And so there we were, up on the top bunk, and I was up on the top bunk, and lights are out, and part of what I usually do at night, you know, you take your leg off before you... Like we do. Like, you know, like everybody else does. So, you, you know, you take your leg off at the end of the day, and you have to put it down somewhere. It, it has to go somewhere, and I right, right. wasn't going to keep it on the top bunk, so... Right. Lights are out, and Buzz is on the bottom bunk below me. Has no idea, no idea. No idea that you had a prosthetic leg. No idea. How, ma- how many of you had no idea until just now that Chad had a prosthetic leg? Right? A number of, yeah, yeah. So there we were. Right. And I go, Buzz, can you take my leg and just put it down beside the <laughs> bottom bunk there? Because that's what friends do, you know. So there we were. There you were. And Buzz takes my leg. And he, he just thought I was completely joking. He was like, ha, ah, ha, yeah, okay. And uh, at that point, he, I, I handed down to him. And, he, and there came Stumpy. And there came Stumpy because you, you Stumpy. had a He's Stumpy like, leg. Ah! I think he did something like that. So I was <laughs> pretty sure something like I that. I first, first introduced to Chad and told that I should call him Stumpy because... His one leg is stumpy. These are the things that 15-year-old boys say about each other, right? And so some years passed, and then uh, I became the pastor at Waterway Church, or Media Mennonite Church, where Chad, um, where Chad was attending. And when I started in 2003, um, you were in the middle of a really different um, physical and, and health challenge. Um, that first year in 2003 into 2004, when I was kind of new at media, you spent a lot of time in the hospital. How many, yeah, I did. How, how many days, there were a number of days that year that you were there with ulcerative colitis, right? Yeah, yeah, and there's a long story behind that too. Right, but right. Uh, yeah, it was about right around 100 days that year, 2003. And in 2003, you were how old? Oh, goodness, I was uh, 
23. 23. So Chad, Chad lost part of his leg as, as a young boy in an accident. When he was 23, um, went through just a really devastating fight with ulcerative colitis. That was when I kind of got to know him as a pastor and, and connected with him. And now for, uh, for 19 years, we've been helping to lead worship together in one way or another. Um, but Chad, one of the things that, that has always, that has always um, been evident to me is, is you have a really deep and a strong faith. And I just wanted to ask kind of the big question I wanted to ask you today you were through a lot of stuff as a, as a little boy and then as a teenager. I mean, you guys know what it's like to go through your teens and just all the body stuff that people go through, boys and girls, no matter what your situation is. I, I know that, was, that must have been a difficult time as a kid and as a teenager to go through all that with your leg as it was. Yeah, it rocks your world. It does. Yeah. And then in your early 20s to go through colitis and just the pain. How were you able to get through all of that stuff and still have still have your heart intact, still be able to love the Lord? Little question, right? One Small, <laughs> right? That's a how, one, one word answer, right? Is how, that what you're looking for? Where, how, how did you get through Where do you find strength to do that? I mean, how does that work? Um, well, number one, it is a one word answer, God. Um, I looked at that, going, having gone through that, you know, 20 years, almost 20 years removed from that, you know, you look back and and um, like, how do you get through just the misery of 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 uh, you know 100 plus days in the hospital and and going through all the grueling time that was and and I looked having in that moment in that in that time period I looked back and I'm like, well, God, I know you got through this with me going through the stuff that I dealt with in. In 1988, losing my losing my leg, losing my foot rather, and and I'm like, okay, I have that foundation to kind of work off of, and and I'm like, well, if you got me through that, I know you can get me through this. I, I don't know what the end result's going to be at, at that point. You know, I didn't know where this was all heading, where how deep the rabbit hole was going to be dug. But um, I look back and I'm like, okay, if you can get me through that, you can get me through this no matter what the outcome is. So that, I mean, the short story is God. Um, that was rough. Uh, that was a really rough time. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. And, um, you know, if there was a time in my life where I'm like, man, I'm going to really question what God is up to here because I was, you know, I was serving him. I was doing all these great things with my life. I was, you know, on missions. I was on a missions trip when this kind of initially went down, and I'm like, man, where, where's this all going, God? But man, he got me through it. That was, and, and that's, that's the bottom line. That's, that's the end result. He got me through those really dark times, that, that um, valley of the shadow, of, as it were. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your story, and, and appreciate that very much. Praise, praise be to God. Anything else we need to know before you sit down? Yeah, um, I could I could tell you all kinds of stories out of that time in my life, but I mean, feel free if you ever want to talk to me about it. I'm an open book about it because God did some really really cool things through that time, um, and uh, I can I can say that easily now, 20 years removed. But um, yeah, um, God God's good. He He's got a plan. His story 
is the ultimate story, and we just kind of get to be along for the ride, and that's kind of feel, that's where I feel like I've been with this, just, um, uh, you know, I, I gave my life to God again, you know, in that hospital, I'm like, God, you know, that last song that we sang, um, I'm sorry, the second to last song we sang, um, uh, Here's My Heart, Lord, um, I remember singing that, I just, that song kind of eclipses that, that whole time that I was in the hospital, like, like, here I am. Like, what do you want to do with me? You know, you're going to take me? Are you going to take me out here? Are you going to, you going to have some bigger story? And so I just kind of hung on and I'm like, all right, here's, here's what God's got. And, and, um, and yeah, so just laying it all out there. Um, God has a big story for us and yeah, he knows what's best. And, and, um, I don't know where else to go with that, but just God's been good to me. And being on the other side of losing a colon through that, being able to say God is good all the time and, and um, in the valley and also in the good times, giving God the glory through that and, and seeing that he... He brings you he, through. He's bring, he brings you through and... and no matter how bad you think it's going to get. And um, I had another point there, and I just lost it. But anyway, um, God, God's, oh, I know what I was going to say. The restoration part of the whole thing was um, God was really, I, I just give him the glory for just the restoration that he showed me on the backside of that um, and restoring what I thought was lost, what I kind of written off was, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to go down through all the nevers that you think you're never going to be able to do again. And God's like, nah, I'll teach, I'll, I'll put you back on the water. I'll give you, I'll give you a story to, you know, go wakeboarding. I'll give you, I'll give you, uh, I got a picture of me being on the back bowls of Vail, 15 months removed from losing my colon, being out with my friend Steve and, um, being able to snowboard the back bowls of Vail. That was epic. That was an epic trip. And I could tell you all kinds of stories, but that was God showing me, hey, there's, there's a big story to be written, and I got your back. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate you. It struck me... Um, you know, Chad and, and the rest of the worship team led us in this last song. Um, All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. Did any of you have trouble with lo- those lyrics as you were singing them? I, I mean, th- these are nice song lyrics, right? All is well, it is well. But, but really, think about what you sung a couple of times. All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. See, this world is not right now as it should be. This doesn't say, the song that we sang, we're not singing lies. We didn't say all is well in our world. The song says all is well with my soul. Because he is God, he's in control. I don't know his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. We are in a world that is not as it ought to be. God created a world that was perfect. And God put Adam and Eve in that world and said, here, 
fill this and multiply it. We often, as we look back and, and, and see in the book of Genesis, we call that place Eden, right? That was, that was where Adam and Eve were placed at that time. And, and it was such a, uh, such a friendly atmosphere. They didn't even need clothing to keep themselves dry or warm or cool or shaded, right? There was no sin in the world. There was no shame in the world. There were no briars, thorns, and thistles. There was no bad weather on days that they were hoping for good weather. Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. And and even if you don't quite yet buy all of that story, if you're still kind of figuring out how you understand the world, just I would invite you to check your heart. Isn't there a hunger in your heart for things to be right like it was then? Don't you have a hunger in your heart for there to be peace and for there to be comfort, and for there not to be such toil and such pain and such sickness and death, right? Don't we have a hunger for that? See, humanity was built. God created humanity to live in that environment. But the problem was, and if you want to get really technical about this, you go ahead back to the first book of the Bible, read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It'll tell you about God creating all this, and Genesis chapter 3 will tell you about humanity and how humanity compromised it all. Adam and Eve made a choice to follow after something other than God. Adam and Eve made a choice to live contrary to God, to how God told them to live. That was, that was called sin. It's still called sin. Anytime we live in a way that God says that we're not to live, that's called sin. We walk away from God. And there are consequences for that. For Adam and Eve, and really for the rest of humanity, the consequence was you may no longer stay in this perfect garden of Eden. And there's all kinds of theological reasons why that happened that way. We could talk about those later if you'd like. But for now, what I want to tell you is we're not living in the world that we were designed for. Right now, we're living in a world that's under the curse. Because when Adam and Eve did what they did and God removed them from the garden, God said, Adam, now life is going to be hard. You're only going to eat by the sweat of your brow. Now there will be thorns and thistles and there will be disease. And he said, Eve, there will be pain in your childbearing and in your relationship with your husband and in all of life, there will be pain. That's not how God designed it, but that's the consequence of what Adam and Eve did. And we've been living with that consequence ever since. Now, you might say it's not fair that all of us have to suffer for what Adam and Eve did, but the reality is all of us are complicit as well because none of us have lived perfect lives either. The Scripture says, in fact, that since Adam and Eve, none, except for Jesus, none have lived a perfect life. All of us at one time or another, the Bible says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. One of the one of the weird, random extra channels that pops up on our TV. Do you, have, do you have one of the kind of TVs now that from time to time, extra channels with like four digits, channel 1589 will pop up sometimes. And, and do you have this on your TV? It's not just the dial anymore, digital stuff. I, uh, I have to, you know, remove these channels sometimes because I can't surf quickly enough. But one of the channels that showed up was a, a channel that just showed a lot of fails, over it fails. Things that people caught on video that were, you know, just shouldn't have happened. And one of the things that they caught on video as I was kind of flipping through, a lady walked out her front door and there was a whole flock of sheep in her front yard. Apparently they were not hers. There was a whole flock of sheep in her front yard. And she said, hey, you sheep, get out of here. And all of them right away turned around and ran back. And then you could see in the distance a broken fence. And they all ran back through the broken fence. And you start to get the picture. Oh, okay. These sheep were out in her yard. They shouldn't have been. And, you know, that's, 
That's how our lives are so often. You and I find ourselves in places where we shouldn't be, doing things that we shouldn't do, and and we know that we shouldn't be here, but the grass looks so green. It looks like life. But what God says is when we follow our own way, really that's death. And we've we've been living with the consequences. You and I have been living with the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin and the consequences of our sin ever since. And now we find ourselves in this world that just isn't the way it seems like it ought to be. Why do little boys get sick? How could God let that happen? Well, God let that happen because he gives humanity choice. And humans made bad choices. And because of Adam and Eve's bad choice, our world is now broken and now there's sickness. God didn't design it to be that way, but now we have to live with it because we haven't followed God. Now, be be very clear here. I'm not saying that he's sick because he did a bad thing. I'm saying we get sick because we've all done bad things, and this is now the state of the world that we're in. And so we find ourselves living in this world, and we look around, and, and we see the brokenness, and it affects us in all kinds of different ways. Some of you today are very healthy and strong. That's not your issue, but you've got stress in your life, and you're not looking forward to going home today. Or maybe some of you, home life is fine and your relationships are great, but just because of how things are built, you are dreading headed back to work or school or wherever your place is tomorrow morning because things aren't right there. Or maybe you have been able with your resources and by the blessing of God, you've been able to to make your little world pretty good, but you're worried and concerned because you can see that the world out there, wherever out there is for you, you can see that the world out there is not very good. And you wonder about the world that your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are going to live into, and you say, how could anything good come out of this? You get this, right? You feel this, right? You have this hunger in your heart like I do, don't you, for things to be better? God knew this. He has that hunger too. God doesn't want for us to suffer. God doesn't want for things to be so bad. But God gives us the ability to make choices in our lives, and so often our choices just keep taking us down unfortunate paths. Now, there are some, and you know a couple of these people, there are some who are able to really sing this song well, and they mean it. All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. Do you know people like that? Do you know people in your life who they've got problems and they've got challenges and and they deal with heartache and they deal with pain, but can you see in their life that there is something different about them? There's something in their eyes that just makes you say, I want that. Do you know these people? I know some people like that. And, and as I listen to their stories, do you know what they tell me over and over? They tell me the same kind of thing that Chad does. They said, this is about God. I, have, I, I don't know everybody. I, I have a limited network of connections. But I have never seen anyone who looked really peaceful and excited and passionate and at ease. I've never seen anyone like that. Ask them why they felt that way, and they said, well, because I finally made my million. 
I've never seen someone who, who dwells with that kind of peace and with that kind of joy and ask them why, and they said, well, because I finally got in shape. I've never asked someone, how is it that you're feeling so good? And they say, well, it's because, it's because I finally... I never hear that answer. When I see these people in my life who have this, this thing in them that I want to have, this joy, this light, this life, when I ask them what it's about, they invariably tell me something like this. God did this thing in my life. That's the story that I keep hearing. I keep hearing this, this account that, that my life was messed up, I had pain, I went through challenges, but I turned to God, got my God got my attention, I surrendered my life to Jesus, and, and, and God has been at work. Chad's a pretty open book uh, about his story, the things that he's been through, the challenges that he's seen, and, and I've got to tell you, he's one of the guys in my life that has that light. He talks about that stuff a lot, and some of you have the blessing of knowing Chad, but um, I don't mean to embarrass him, but what I'm going to tell you is the people who seem to have that thing over and over, they keep saying what he said. This is about Jesus, and yet how many people in your life are pursuing after Jesus as if Jesus was the answer? How many people in your life seem to be ready to just give up everything except the Lord so that they can have everything be well in their soul? It seems like so many people I know, not you all, of course, but the people out there that I know, they're trying to be able to say all is well with my soul, but they're not willing to say that he is God in control. Most people say, and I need to get things together. That's not how this works. If you want to have joy in your life, if you want to have peace in your life, if you want to be saved from all the muck that the world is, you can't find the answer in the world. The answer only comes in Jesus Christ, and that's the gospel. That's what God saw. God looked at thousands of years of humanity. God looked at all the brokenness of the world, and God looked at all of the mess that we had made, and God said, they're not going to be able to fix this. And so he sent his son, Jesus, so that all who put their faith and hope in him can be delivered into everlasting life and be given full life here. That doesn't mean easy life here. But Jesus is the answer for getting that kind of peace and that kind of joy and that kind of settledness that says, all is well with my soul, because my soul is with the Lord. He is God in control. I don't need to know all his plans. I just know that I'm in his hands. That kind of peace only comes from God. And I heard another person tell that kind of story. I've had the privilege just in the last two weeks of talking with a number of missionaries and a number of pastors from other areas. These were little meetings that I didn't expect, but they popped up. They were God's little blessings, I feel, to me. I talked with a fellow named Alex. I'm not going to tell you his whole name because, quite frankly, I can't pronounce it. Alex is from India. Alex is a church planter in India. I don't know how old he is. I would guess he is close to the age of 70. But I know that he has been working as a church planter in India for over 40 years. And I got to hear a little bit of his story just a week and a half ago. Alex was born in India, so he calls him, he is Indian, right? He's not somebody who moved there as, as a missionary. But he heard a call in his life at a young age, and I heard him say this across the breakfast table. He heard a call in his life at a young age, in his teens. He heard God calling him to plant churches. 
Now, India, the primary, primary religions that have historically been part of, uh, of the, the country of India is Hinduism and Islam, right? Those are the two big religions that are there. Christianity is a very small percentage of the Indian religious scene. But historically, and, and Alex told us that in his life, for, for most of the time, the government was set up in such a way that missionaries and, and Christians were pretty free to do what they wanted to do. In fact, all religions were. There was not a lot of government control or intervention with religious kind of stuff. And so Alex has been working to plant churches and plant churches and plant churches, and it's been difficult, but God has given blessing. And there are a number of churches in his region that have cropped up, Christian churches where people are being baptized, coming to the Lord, living their lives, and finding that peace and that light and, and the ability to say, all is well with my soul. That's been Alex's work. But, but what he says is, in the last number of years, there have been things happening in India, politically, where the powers that be now are really pushing for India to be a Hindu state. No longer to be the kind of a country where, well, everybody can kind of do their thing, but to become a Hindu country, ruled by Hindu values. And so that is a lot of the policy that is coming out of the government offices, according to Alex, who's lived in India his whole life. And here's what Alex said. This is the condition today, or, or at, least, um, at least as of September 1st. Met Alex on September 1st. Okay, so as of September 1st, he's here in the States um, meeting with some friends of his and, and continuing to raise support. As of right now, in his region of India, where these Christian churches have been planted over the years, conversion to anything other than Hinduism is illegal. It is stated as illegal, it is written down as illegal, and if you are found to be converting people, converting people, you will be put in jail if you're discovered. Now, as the Indian government and the authorities look at Christianity, they say Christianity, conversion in Christianity is marked by baptism. So you can talk to people, you can think about life with people, but if you baptize somebody at that point, according to the Indian government in that region, at that point you have coerced someone away from Hinduism, away from their family, and away from the state religion. If you have baptized them, you have coerced them, you are doing violence upon them, you are doing something illegal, and so baptism is the mark that India sees that at that point you've gone too far. If you've either been baptized, but especially if you were the pastor or the church person who is doing the baptism, conversion is marked by baptism and conversion is illegal. And so if you are found now to baptize someone, you will be put in jail. This is the situation right now in Alex's part of India. And so the other pastors who were sitting with us and myself were, okay, so what are you doing? And he said, well, we continue to talk about Jesus. We have to be a bit more careful. And he says, when we do baptisms now, we tell people, please don't take pictures and post them anywhere because we don't want to, you know, get in trouble. But yet, and we said, wait, wait, wait. You've just told us how illegal it is to baptize people, how difficult this is. In fact, how some people have been persecuted, beaten, even killed for converting other people through Christian baptism. That's still happening. He said, oh yeah, we've baptized 500 people this year. He said, we've baptized 500 people this year. He said, we've baptized 500 people this year. 
I know, I know, it's raining outside. We were looking forward to the sun. We're a mellow group. Some of us are Mennonites, right? And, and we just, you know. We've had a really exciting year here at Waterway. We've had three different Sundays where we've done baptisms here, and that totaled, that totaled how many people have we baptized? 12, 15, 18? That's pretty neat. And we've celebrated every one. And I praise God for every person in our fellowship who has given their life to him. I am not minimizing our baptisms at all. But compared to Alex's church and compared to Alex's town, compared to Alex's congregation and compared to Alex's setting, you and I are so wealthy and so educated and so free. But we haven't baptized 500, have we? 500 people. There are, if, if, I'm, uh, if, if I'm exactly right, there are 376 seats in this room right now. 376 of them. So if we were all sitting shoulder to shoulder and some of our friends and neighbors would join us, there would still be fewer people in this room than their churches under persecution, under penalty of death, under if you baptize people, we will put you in jail and take your house. They've still baptized more people than fit in this room. How does that happen? How does a man like Alex, who's grown up, I mean, his entire life he told stories, and, and he told them, it was interesting watching Alex, he looked tired. He did. He looked like a person who, and of course, right now he's in the States, he's been here for a couple weeks, he's going around to a lot of pastor's meetings as his friends take him around, hey, you got to tell my friends about your story, right? That'd be exhausting. He looks tired, but there is a look in his eye that is just full of life. And especially when he talks about these 500 souls, not just baptized, baptized this year, since January 1st, over 500. And we've got to tell people, we've got to tell people not to take pictures because we don't, you know, we don't want to post this on message boards and get the whole crowd because they'll throw the whole crowd in jail. How does a person living in that part of the world, living under that kind of oppression, living with that kind of suffering and that kind of persecution, how is it that he can live in such a way that I look at him as the poster boy for all is well with my soul, he is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. I think then Alex told us the secret. I'm going to tell you the secret because this blows me away and frankly I don't know what to do with it yet. We said, so what, what does your life look like? And he said, well, there's a group of us. We've been planning churches for a long time. He said, there's a group of us that meet together for prayer every morning, every day of the year for an hour before we go to work. Sometimes we meet at 530, sometimes it's 545. But Alex told us that, and in all the churches where he's planted, that's become kind of their thing. People gather, not just two or three, but 20, 30 people from the church gather every morning, every day of the year, for an hour to pray in a place where it's illegal to baptize folks, in a place where they don't have nice air-conditioned and heated buildings like this, and they probably don't stop at Holy Grounds for coffee and a donut on the way. Not only that, he said there is a, there's a group of ladies that meet for prayer from 9 o'clock in the morning until 1 o'clock in the afternoon, five days a week for the past 25 years. He says, that's where we've gotten our power. And I'm sitting at a table at Yoder's, trying to figure out how I can make sure I don't eat too much because I'm trying to lose some weight. This is the privileged life that I live 
And I feel that I'm doing my job faithfully. I, I, I feel like I, God has called me to be a pastor. I, I'm trying to do that. But I hear him talk about the way that they pray, and I say, I don't do that. I pray. I don't pray like that. And I hear him talk about baptizing 500 people. I say, oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I'm excited about what God is doing here through us. Praise the Lord. But what might happen if you and I live daily with the same kind of passion in our freedom that they live in their pain? What might start to happen if a couple of us met every morning for an hour before work? I know some of you do. I know some of you. But most of us don't. What might happen if there was a group of us that met for 20 hours a week for 25 years? What might things look like in 2047 if the Lord continues to tarry? Do you think more of us might be able to say, all is well with my soul? He is God in control. Time is slipping away on me here. I have more things I'd like to say. I have more Bible I'd like to study. We haven't, we haven't opened our Bibles yet. Forgive me. I hope that you have heard. I hope that you have heard God's story being told. But here is a Bible verse for you. It's just one today. In fact, it's not even the whole verse. It's Isaiah chapter 29. And God is looking at his people. This is in the Old Testament. This is God speaking about Israel, but Jesus quoted this in his day too. He quoted it in the book of Mark, which we studied. We studied this part of Mark a couple months ago, Mark chapter 7. But Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, God said about his people, Jesus said it again. He said, these people, they come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's hard to look at a person's heart. We don't really get to see each other's full hearts. This is why we are not the judge. I don't get to tell you whether you are saved or damned. God does that. God alone does that. So it could be a little fuzzy when we start talking about the heart, but it seems to me that a, a good indication, because we can know each other by our fruits, we can see whether good things are happening. It, it seems to me like a bit more emphasis on prayer might, might be an indication that our hearts are fully in it and we're not just praising God with our lips. I was convicted by Pastor Alex and I'm trying to sort out how to live my life differently to follow that conviction. Because I want my heart to be dedicated to God. I want yours to be dedicated to God too. And, and so prayer is a marker of that. But prayer is not the only thing. We, we need to figure out some way, some way to be able to look at all of our days and, and say, no matter what is happening out there, no matter what kind of chaos is going on in the world, no matter what kind of chaos is happening in my life, no matter what kind of chaos is even happening in my mind, oh, I want things that I shouldn't have. No matter what is happening in us, how do we make sure that we continue to say God is in control? We yield our lives to Jesus. We must continue to pray, and I think, church, we, we've got to eliminate some of our distractions. I'm going to talk about that more next week 
and over the next few weeks, but here's your assignment this week. Here's your assignment this week. Many of you today have said already, you've sung this song, all is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. This week, as you live your life, whatever it looks like, maybe it's here in Oxford, maybe you'll walk around the Solanco Fair on Wednesday. Maybe you'll come back here on Sunday. Maybe you'll eat a bowl of chili in 15 minutes. As you live your life this week, ask yourself this question. Am I following God above all else? Do I have my life oriented towards God in such a way that I'm willing to spend however much time in prayer? I'm willing to go baptize even under penalty of jail. I'm willing to keep talking even though this is hard. I'm going to tell people about Jesus even though the, the, the country says that there's this rule, even though the police say that there's that thing, even though my family says that I'm crazy. Will you continue to seek after Jesus in everything that you are doing? That's your assignment this week. Please pray more. But I want you to think this week, too, and I want you to think in all the things that you're doing, in all the things that are on your calendar, are you doing this for and with Jesus, or is this something else that is just starting to get in the way? Some of you today are here, and, and this Jesus talk is new, and, and you know that the world is a mess, but you have no idea how to get your life back together. If that's you, talk to me, even if I'm eating a bowl of chili and looking like I'm elbow deep in that thing, you come and talk to me. I'd, I'd like to tell you more about Jesus. Talk to Pastor Steve. Talk to some, one of the people that you've seen singing up here on the stage. Talk to Anne. We can tell you about Jesus, okay? If you're still kind of sorting this all out, let me just, you're not going to find any answers apart from Jesus Christ. This, this messed up world is going to continue, continue to affect your soul. And, and when you say all is well with my soul, you're just still not going to be able to believe it until Jesus gets in there and straightens things out. So turn your life to Jesus. And if you turned your life to Jesus a long time ago, make sure you're still living your life for Jesus, praying to God for his direction, acting like God is in control, and not just taking things into your own hands for your own agenda, your own purposes, or your own opinions. Let's not be people who just come near to the Lord with our mouths, and honor him with our lips, singing and praising because, well, the, the music sounds nice. Let's not be people who dwell with our hearts far from God. Let's instead give our hearts to him. Amen. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to be together today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will continue to be in this place as we continue to worship and praise you and think about your word, both the word that you speak to our hearts through the Holy Spirit, but especially the word that we see on the page as we dwell in your scripture. Lord, help us this week. For those of us who are not saved yet, who have not given our lives to you yet, Lord, I pray that you would convict those hearts that need to change. And Lord, for those of us who have been following you for a long time, but who have been distracted, Lord, forgive us and change us. Lord, finally, for those in our midst who show us life, who are living in the peace of your salvation, who are living out the power of your blessing, 
Lord, I pray that you would bless those folks to continue to be the light and the salt that they are so that more and more people can become more and more like Jesus. Lord, we pray in the, in the power of your son's precious name. Amen. Church, will you stand and, and sing with us this closing song, uh, Take My Life? I think these words are appropriate as we respond to the Lord's calling. <laughs>